0: What an awesome morning of worship this morning, huh? Come on, so good, so good. And it's 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 funny. I don't see the kids leaving, but it sounds like a, a herd of pachyderms heading out, right? It's like, oh man, the way they go, they're heading to the promised land. Yes, sign me up. Yeah, let's let's just open in prayer. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for what you're doing here this morning. We know, Holy Spirit, you're in the house. We know you're in this house because when we worship, you come down. You can't help but be attracted to yourself. So we just we thank you for being here. We thank you for what you're doing and the way you're working in hearts. And we, we ask for more. Change us. Change each one of us to be more in the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Fred, if my mic goes off, just wave at me and I'll adjust it. I know last week was a little bit interesting. Man, covenant. We talked about covenant last week. I I brought up the word hesed, which is a Hebrew word that means covenant. And it's a big word. It's way bigger than just one English word. It means strength and steadfastness, love and mercy and generosity. It's all brought into this one word, covenant covenant and we talked about what Jesus did and what the covenant means and what it really means for us. And this morning I just want to I want to finish off by talking a little bit about why is this new covenant so much better than the old covenant. But I also want to talk about what Jesus did to achieve that covenant. And I know for me when I read some of the scriptures it's 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 hard sometimes because I, I want to read them from a clinical aspect. I want to read it and understand it here. But it doesn't always want to be hitting here because it's hard. It's really hard sometimes when we, when we read what he did and how he did it. It's, it's very difficult to really read and fully grasp what he did. But one of the beautiful things about the New Covenant is unlike the Old Testament where it was a visitation culture, where God would come down He would be on prophets, he would be on kings, he would be on the the head priest, where he would come down and he would visit people and he would visit the community of people. In the New Testament, as new creations, it's no longer a visitation culture, it's now a habitation. He's in each one of us, Holy Spirit is in us, that's like God with us, Emmanuel what they spoke of in the old testament was jesus walking among them god among them but now he's god in us enabling us to become just like him to be enabling us to become sons and daughters as new covenant people we are in christ and we are in the spirit at all times it's it's not a sunday thing it's a 7 day a week 24/7 thing we are in christ in the spirit whether we recognize it or not Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this is what we're walking to. We're walking towards this transformation of becoming Christ-like in everything we do. I heard a, I heard a, a guy's explanation a few weeks ago. He was talking to somebody who was saying, what is Jesus like? What is he like? And, and this guy said, he's like me, but a billion times better. <laughs> and, and that's what we're after. Christ in me, the hope of glory. I'm reflecting Jesus all the time. I hope I am. (laughs) Do I fall short? Yes, I do. (laughs) Absolutely. But we're in that process of Christ being formed in us, as it says in Galatians 4.19. Christ being formed in you. This is Paul's prayer for us. And that was spoken over 2,000 years ago, and it's true today. Christ being formed in us day by day by day. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 to verse 8 says, For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives. And follow the example of their faith. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. And it's it's really important for us to understand as new creations in a new covenant. We're not talking about an upgrade. Like I got a new car and now it has power windows. It's not an upgrade. It's not a new engine, it's not better fuel economy. We're talking about something that's never been seen before. We're talking about going from horse and buggy to airplane. That kind of new creation. That's who we are under the new covenant. Because we are that habitation of God. And that is completely different than what they experienced before. Before it was just a people set apart. Now it is everybody is set apart who calls on Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Because all falls short of the glory of God. And I love the way Sam explains that falling short with the archery term sin. It means you missed. You missed the target. And there's a few years there I was hunting. Um, bow and arrow over on data and I am tell you, I missed the mark a few times where we didn't have any venison on the table because I missed. <laughs> There's still a tree that has my arrow up in it, about 20 foot up in the tree. I couldn't even retrieve it. It's a reminder of me if you missed. But we all miss. And it's, it's interesting because we sometimes think, uh, as, as we're raised and we grow up, that oh, my my family, we're all part of it, that's part of our inheritance. That is not how the kingdom works. We all fall short. It doesn't matter who you are, what family you're born into, poverty, wealth, it doesn't matter. We all fall short. We're all born into the enemy's camp. We all belong to the enemy. We all belong to Satan. There's only two teams in the kingdom. The kingdom of God in the kingdom of the enemy. I'm not going to use that other finger. <laughs> and it, it, I was thinking about that, because I've, I've, I've talked about this before, and I'm thinking, what is a, a good example of that? And then I, w- I saw this, uh, this, this uh, testimony on, on YouTube, and it was a lawyer, and he had this dream. This lawyer was an atheist, he didn't believe in God, and he had this dream, and it got hold of him, and it changed his life. And he had this dream. He was, he was in the country, and there was two beautiful fields, and there was this big, wide stone fence, you know, like about five, six foot tall. You know those stone fences you might see in England? He's standing on this on this stone fence, this wall separating the two fields, and he could see, obviously, to him... There was a guy who looked like Jesus with a bunch of people around him talking in one beautiful green field. And then there was another green field. And there was a bunch of people in it. and There was this smartly dressed businessman in this suit and tie and looking really slick in this other field. And he's looking at both fields and and he's standing on this wall that goes off over the horizon. And then all of a sudden, all the people on the one side with Jesus and Jesus himself, they disappeared. And then... businessman with all the people he was with disappeared and he was left standing on this fence. Then all of a sudden, this businessman appeared right in front of him, right in front of his face and said, there you are, and grabbed hold of him. And he says, but I'm on the fence. And the businessman who was Satan in this dream said, I own the fence. And he started to scream and that's what woke himself up. And it just, it just brings clear to us that there is no Geneva, Switzerland in the kingdom. There is no neutral ground. There is no safe place. You're either in the kingdom or you're not. You're in the kingdom or you're in the world. And it's, it's really striking and stark for us uh, as people, especially in Western culture. where We live in paradise. This is the most beautiful place in the world. But yet we still have choices to make. Choices that have eternal ramifications. Because we can't redeem ourselves. We cannot pay the unpayable. Matthew 18, 24 is a good example where it's the king forgives a servant who owes him 10,000 talents of gold, which is millions upon millions of dollars in our Canadian peso. And we could never, never pay that back. But the king forgave. And that's what our king has done for us so let's just walk through a little bit of what Jesus' victory really was and what he really did for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he was made sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. He was the son of God. He was not born into sin like the rest of us who are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. He was born sinless. He was the son of God. And he had to pay. Somebody had to pay and he chose to pay for us. And he couldn't just die physically, like we talk about the cross and we sing about the cross. He also had to die spiritually. He had to pay everything. Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, and the Lord made his life an offering for sin. Jesus paid for our sin. He then descended, after he died on the cross, he descended into hell itself. Ephesians 4.9 says, Jesus also descended to the lower earthly regions. He tasted death for every single person. You, me, everybody on this planet, everybody who has been born, everybody who will be born, he did it for everybody. Hebrews 2.9 says this, Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone he endured all the, combined, all the combined sin that humanity can suffer. All sin, all sickness, all disease, all atrocities of war, all famine, all suffering that people can inflict on other people. He took it all. All of it. He took the whole sin of mankind, and he took the wrath of God as well. When you think about that, yeah, he took the sin, but he also took the penalty of it. He suffered the wrath of God itself. He was turned over to the satanic tortures in hell. That's where he was for three days, for you and for me. Luke 16, verses 19 to 31, is as Jesus is talking about the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Remember the rich man? And he had Lazarus, the beggar, at his gate, And the rich man dies, and he goes to hell. Lazarus dies, and he goes to Abraham's bosom. And it says in verses 19, Have pity on me. This is the rich man speaking. Have pity on me, speaking to Abraham. Have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. This is where Jesus went. He went where this rich man went. He went to that place. The agonies that Christ endured are in Psalm 88. Some of them are listed there. Psalm 88, verses three to five says it this way: "I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. This is Jesus. I am counted among those who are down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead. Like the slain who lie in the grave, who you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. He poured out his soul unto death. He poured it all out. And we we can't remember that Jesus is part of the Trinity. So we have God the Father, we have God the Son, and we have God the Spirit. Because he's part of a Trinity, it's not just Jesus who suffered in all of us. So did God the Father, and so did God the Spirit. The three are one. It's not just a man. It wasn't just the man. Because if it was just the man, it would just be the flesh. But there was the Spirit, too, that had to pay. Romans 8.32 says, Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything? This is talking about God the Father. And what his promise was in covenant to us. What Jesus was doing, what his promise in covenant was, that he was going to redeem us all. He was going to redeem us in such a way that we couldn't even break it on our own. We remember what the Israelites did. They always went off into sin, they followed other gods. A prophet would come and he would say, Remember, the enemies are at the gate, and God would redeem them and, and set them free again. They would return. But they would break covenant by going after other things. We can't do that because the covenant is no longer left up to us. It was made in Jesus' blood on our behalf with God the Father. We can't break covenant. And Jesus won't do it because he's interceding for us. And even Holy Spirit's interceding for us with groans. We know why he's groaning, right? He's in me. He's in you. <laughs> Ever have one of those days, oh, I can't I believe I did that again. That's when the Holy Spirit's going, oh, shut right? up. He's interceding for us. He's going, oh, come on, you can do this. It's encouraging. We can do this. But the Father poured out all his wrath on Jesus. All of it. You think about it took the sin of the world and the Father's wrath to kill his spirit. Psalm 88, 15 to 17 says it this way, I have borne your terrors and I am despair, and in, and am in despair. This is Jesus again. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. And it goes on to say, wave after wave of your wrath comes. I think that, ra- that wave after wave is he got a wave for every single one of us. Here comes the way for James. Here comes the way for Sam. Here comes the way for Doug. And Jesus paid each one of us individually, singly. He paid for each one of us. And he endured it. He died, but then he rose again because death couldn't hold him because he was sinless. Although he paid the penalty of sin for us, he had no sin to pay for. And at that point, when he died, in body and in spirit, at that point, Satan himself became a murderer. Satan could kill whoever he wanted up until that point in time because they belonged to him. Just like a slave owner can do whatever he wants with his property, Satan could do the same. But now, when Jesus had fully paid, Satan was a murderer. And now he was subject to what the courts of heaven had to say about that. His keys were stripped away. Christ was justified in the spirit. 1 Timothy 3:16 says God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit. Christ was made alive by the Spirit. 1 Peter 3:18 says Jesus was made alive in the spirit. Christ was reborn in the spirit. Revelation 1.5 says Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, he was raised again because of what he did for us. Because as long as he was identified with sin, he was stuck in hell. He was confined there just like anybody who doesn't believe is. But once the full measure of payment of sin was determined, all God's wrath was poured out. There was none left for us. Just think about that. All of God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. There is none left for you. None. God does not punish you. (laughs) Somebody needs to hear that this morning. God does not punish you. He's poured out all his wrath on Jesus. He doesn't punish sons and daughters. Because Jesus is found righteous and made alive, so are you, righteous and alive he completely disarmed and and dethroned Satan. He took the keys. Colossians 2.15 says it. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That word disarmed literally means, that Hebrew word means spoiled, to strip a hide from an animal and make completely useless. Any hunters out there? (laughs) Stripping a hide from an animal and making it completely useless, there is nothing left of it. It's done. It is finished. And it was impossible for death to hold him. And this implies how much power and effort hell put into holding Jesus. And they couldn't. Psalm 107 gives a hint to it. It says, for he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. He's talking about Jesus here. Nothing could hold him. Revelation 1.18, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Just like we sang about this morning. Death has no hold on us. Christ has all power. What does that leave for the enemy? None. There's nothing left. But there's more. You remember those old commercials from the 90s? But there's more. Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 6 says this, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, that word said again is being used here. Because he's rich in mercies, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We've been raised, we are seated in heavenly places. According to the word, we are crucified with Christ, buried with him, raised with him, exalted with him, and enthroned with him. And that was all achieved by his blood. You know, and how is this understandable? Because we think, you know, sin, we try we use it in an abstract word, or we think of sin as, oh uh, you know, I was speeding today on, on the way to church. That's that's a sin. Speeding to church. <laughs> we we use those words as something abstract, but it's not. We must have somebody attached to it to make it a reality. So when Jesus was on the cross, he he was there with all of us. All of us as individuals. We were there with him. It wasn't something abstract. It was like, oh, he went and paid my bill for me. It's like he went down to the bank and paid our bill. No, it was not abstract. It was a reality. All of mankind was identified with Jesus in his death. That is the good news. Everybody was identified with Jesus in his death. Whether they know it or not, that's the good news. That's what the good news of the gospel is. You have been set right with God because of what Jesus did. Not because of what you have to do. Everybody. That is the good news. Those who believe are identified with Jesus in his resurrection and his exaltation. That is something that's also hard to really grasp. It's not difficult to believe that Christ is enthroned and exalted in heaven. What's difficult, that I find the difficulty with a lot of the time, is coming to terms with and comprehending that I am exalted and throned with him too. And each one of you are exalted and throned with him as well in heaven. That is the stuff that we got to wrap our brain around by starting in our heart. This is who we are in Him. This is who we've been made to be. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, But whoever is united with the Lord is one with Him in spirit. We are one with Him in spirit now. It's not in the future. It is now. This is who we are in Him. Remember, I talked last week about FM and AM. AM is abiding mode. That is where we are now. Tune into that dial. It's just like we're sitting here now and we have we're being bombarded by radio frequencies, AM, FM, we got cell phone stuff going on, we got Bluetooth, all that stuff going on, but you can't hear any of it unless you got the right receiver. What receiver are you tuned into? Are you listening to FM, which is fear mode? Are you listening to the enemy? That's where it's like, get lost. I'm done with you. Abiding mode. What does Jesus have to say about you? What is he saying to you right now this morning? What is he speaking into your heart? Is he calling you? Are you responding? Are you listening? We, we hear, we get the prophetic words and we get people coming up to speak in the morning. That's abiding mode. They're hearing what the Lord has to say and they're saying, hey, come, come. Come and listen to what I have to say to you about you because I love you. I did this for you. I knew who you were before you were born, before you were conceived, and I have called you. You were worth it. If you were the only one on the planet, you were worth it. I did it for you. I didn't do it for anybody else, or you didn't inherit it because your parents were great people, or you had a grandmother, and we know God does not go against a praying grandmother. Right? (laughs) We're going to meet those people in heaven and know who was really praying for us. (laughs) Because all of us are here as an answer of prayer. I know I am. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for us. Because we are His body. John 15, 14 says, Remain in me, abide. That's the word abide here. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. We're called to be attached to him, to continually abide and be with him, because that is how we bear fruit, through him by the power of the Spirit. And an interesting thing is, we, he can't bear fruit by himself. He's not where the fruit grows. We are. That's where we're the hands and feet. He's the head. But even like Sam sitting there in his chair, his head's there, but so is his body. <laughs> It's not abstract. It's real. It's reality. We are his body. So this morning, I want to lead us through a declaration. Stand up. Let's let's close with this. Our identity is in Jesus. He is alive. I'm gonna gonna read read some stuff here. I want you to say this after me. I am saved. I saved. I I am healed. I am delivered. I am forgiven. I am righteous. I am a son or daughter. I am a new creation. I am holy. I am a conqueror. I am redeemed. I have wisdom. I have a purpose. I have a hope. I have a future. I have glory and praise. I have salvation. I have the Holy Spirit. I have an inheritance. And I have eternity. If there's anything in that declaration that your heart went, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, I don't know if I buy that. That is something to pray into. Because what I just read was the truth. And if you had something that went, nah, that means you're believing a lie. And have to pray and ask, what is this lie that I'm believing that I'm not believing the truth? So be blessed today knowing that you have favor. You are part of God's family. You've been identified with Jesus and you are in heavenly places. And if anybody wants to come up for prayer, we have prayer people here this morning going to play some music quietly so we can pray and hear what people are saying. But be blessed, be blessed and enjoy.